When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is 5th Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm Chris Mack and 93.7 The Fan. How are you? I'm well. Uh, interested to talk about each of the eight teams that were eliminated in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to bounce around a lot. Uh, we're going to bounce around from Boston to New York to Minnesota to Colorado to Tampa to Long Island to LA to Winnipeg all over North America in an attempt to find out what happened to each of these eight teams this season and in the first round in particular that led to their elimination? The Bruins, the Rangers, the Wild, the Avs, the Lightning, the Isles, the Kings, and the Jets. And find out where their off-seasons go because I think that gives you an inkling and an idea of how the Penguins' off-season may be handled, at least in relation to these eight teams, right? This is a quarter of the league that was eliminated in the first round. The Penguins didn't get there, but now these eight teams will certainly affect what the Penguins do when the off-season really does start to hit mid to late June after the Stanley Cup Finals are over uh, and leading into the draft and then free agency in early July. So... With no further ado, we are going to bounce, like I said, all over North America. Scott Billick from Winnipeg, uh, Andrew Knoll in L.A., Stevan Rossner in, uh, or on Long Island, I should say, Eric Erlinson down in Tampa, Evan Rawl in Colorado, Jesse Pierce in Minnesota, Sean Marash in New York. But we start with our guy, Scott McLaughlin, on what happened to the Bruins. And to get us started, as we take a look back at not just the first round, but the season as a whole for every team that went out in the first round, an Odyssey brother of mine, Odyssey colleague of mine from up in Beantown, WEEI's Scott McLaughlin. Scott, how are you today, man? And how's Boston handling things given the way the Bruins went out in the first round? I'm good. I think uh, the city as a whole is still pretty stunned and... The Celtics now being on the verge of elimination is not helping matters up here. So True, true. Uh, yeah, so, you know, what was once a really promising spring is looking uh, pretty bleak for Boston right now. Well, what what was it? Because the Bruins looked like this unstoppable juggernaut. And granted, we've seen that a couple times in the last uh, decade or so, right? 
where teams like the Lightning a few years ago have a remarkable regular season and then they get to the playoffs. The Lightning were swept out in their case, right? A few years ago. Um, the Bruins get bounced by a team that just barely got in in the Panthers. Was it, uh, I hate to use the term rust versus rest, but was it the Bruins not having to play a lot of high stakes hockey down the stretch and they came in dull and Florida was was sharp? Uh, was it was it a tactical mistake, uh, a first-year head coach for the Bruins in this case, not pushing the right buttons against the Panthers? From your from where you sit, what what went wrong? A uh, little, little bit of all of the above kind of broke down at every level. I do think the rest versus rust thing, I think that came, comes into play a little bit, uh, especially games one and two. I thought the Panthers looked like just a far more aggressive, ready team. Bruins seemed to not really be ready for playoff hockey, but I thought they got that out of their system and they went down to Florida for games three and four, played really well took control of those games, took control of the series. They're up 3-1. Like, at that point, that they're into the swing of it. You know, that they're playing playoff hockey. So how it all went wrong after that in games five through seven, you know, to me at that point, like, not really playing meaningful hockey or whatever, is that's kind of gone as an excuse. You're, you're five right. games into a series at that point. You better uh, wake up. Yeah, you know, so they had – they had a lot of defensive breakdowns that weren't there all year. Just some terrible turnovers. Part of that is absolutely a credit to the Panthers. They're a great forechecking team. I think people are seeing that in their second round series against Toronto as well. But some of it was unforced errors. Some of it was just boneheaded plays, just blind passes in into the middle of their own zone. Two defensemen getting stuck below the goal line. like Things that just weren't there all year that really weren't forced by Florida and were just self-inflicted wounds. Um, the goaltending certainly didn't hold up. You know, they had really like historically great goaltending all year. Lena Selmark, you know, we, we know he was dealing with something. He claims he was hurt, not injured. He says it didn't affect his play, but whatever it was, he cert his play certainly declined as the series went on, uh, especially in games five and six. So that's a factor. They have to go to Jeremy Swayman cold in game seven. Yeah. How do you think Jim Montgomery handled the goaltending situation late in the series? Uh, I would say not well. And I think <laughs> he even said it himself this week at his breakup press conference. He said he regretted not going to Swayman earlier. And, yeah, you know, look, playoff rotations are very rare, right? Every team throughout hockey history generally picks a number one and rides them. But in this case, you know, the rotation they had really for the last four months of the season was incredible. Every, every game, it was all Mark. Great game. Swayman. Great game. All Mark. Great right. game. Swayman like, and just kept going. So to then, you know, decide that you're just going to ride all Mark in the playoffs, especially when he's dealing with something, however minor they say it is, it was an odd decision. And I, I think they stuck with them at least one game too long. You know, he struggles in game five. He has that turnover in overtime. That really seemed like the time to go to Swayman up three, two. And, uh, you know, they went back to Allmark and he really struggled in game six. Is this team aging out Scott? Um, and, and I guess to the, the double barreled angle of that question is, will, will Patrice Bergeron be back? Yeah, that's now the big, big question of the offseason, just just like it was last offseason. Um, you know, I do think I think David Krejci is probably the one who's more likely to retire. Uh, okay. Bergeron, 
I lean towards him probably retiring, but I think it's closer to 50, 50. I think I got the impression, you know, after game seven and then on breakup day that he he's legitimately undecided and, you know, really wants to take some time to make sure he makes the right decision. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be 38. Uh, he didn't finish the season healthy. He last game of regular season suffered a herniated disc in his back. He's dealt with other injuries in recent years. So, you know, it, it could be time where he just, you know, the physical toll has, uh, you know, added up and, and it might be time for him. How does, do they, are, are they ready, I guess, to, to look at this, you know, Don Sweeney in, in a, a different way and how they construct the roster, especially if, if Bergeron and Krejci should both move on with their life's work. Um, they're younger on the back end, obviously, than they are up front, but they've got, they've still got David Posternock's not going anywhere. Um, do they, do they look to perhaps, and I thought they did a nice job at the deadline, obviously, leading up to the deadline and building out the blue line. Do they start to look at this because of their goaltending, because of the blue line, as we've got to we, we've got to maybe invest more resources in the back end? You know, you've already got uh, Lindholm on a, on a no-move clause, right? Uh, and, a, and a big, long extension to go with McAvoy. Um, do they start to look at constructing things a little bit differently? And is this maybe... To, to bring it back to a Penguin-centered question, is this sort of the rebuild on the fly that they've struggled to pull off here in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I think there's going to have to be turnover and, and some sort of resetting, not only because, you know, if Bergeron and Krejci retire, like that's an obvious reset just for the franchise as a whole and anyways, but also their cap situation. They have right. very little cap space and between unrestricted and restricted free agents, they have 11 free agents. So, uh, they obviously can't keep everyone. They're going to have to maybe trade away some guys if they want to keep, you know, even three or four of those free agents. So there's going to be a lot of turnover. Um, they, like you said, they do have a solid foundation on the back end with McAvoy, Lindholm, Brandon Carlo in there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the goalies that they, they might, if you're talking about freeing up money, like they might even consider trading one of them away to address holes elsewhere. I know a team that might be interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, But yeah, up up front, they'll certainly have work to do, especially at the center position. I think they, they feel like they probably found one of their top two centers of the future with Pavel Zaka. Mm -hmm. That was a trade that really worked out well for them, but they would have to find another one because, you know, Charlie Coyle has moved up in the past, but he's, he's limited offensively. So ideally he stays as your third line center. So no first or second round picks this year or next year, no third round pick next year either. Um, it, it, you mentioned the the lack of available cap space until they get some decisions, especially on Bergeron and Krejci and what they may be able to do. What's the, the biggest, I guess, the biggest priority for Sweeney, the, the GM this offseason and for the organization as a whole? Is it just are they kind of stuck in a holding pattern until they get an answer on Bergeron and Krejci, or can they start to push forward towards July 1st and free agency without perhaps knowing what those two may do? Yeah, I think they're definitely in a little bit of a holding pattern, but there are things that they can address, you know, like they can work out the restricted deals with guys like Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think they would really love to keep Tyler Bertuzzi, who was one of those, trade deadline acquisitions who fit in really well tied for the team lead in scoring in the playoffs. Um, they could probably start those conversations and also start throwing out feelers for, you know, 
different guys that they might trade away to free up some of that money. So yeah, that all I think needs to happen no matter what. So they don't have to wait for Bergeron and Krejci on that. But yeah, depending on what they do, obviously that, you know, will ultimately affect how they move forward this offseason. For people to keep an eye on the Boston Bruins from afar, Scott McLaughlin, W-E-E-I, uh, he will keep you up to date this summer on what's going on with their offseason. Anything else we should keep an eye out for other than all the stuff you just mentioned? When the Bruins pop up this summer, uh, how do we? How, what should we be looking for, I guess? Well, I think it it, it is players that they might trade away. Like I, Whether it is a goalie, you know, I, I think they would be more likely to hang on to Swayman, so... You know, I think there's a lot of teams that'd be interested in Lena Selmark. Two years mm-hmm. left, five million a year. It's gonna win the Vezina probably. So that would be a huge one. They have some defensemen, you know, Matt Grizzlick, Derek Forbert that they'd probably look to move. And po- if they if they're gonna keep Bertuzzi, possibly even a forward. You could see Taylor Hall or Jake DeBrusque pop up in trade rumors. So okay. some some big names there that they could uh you know look to move on from to both to free up cap space and to possibly recoup some draft picks, maybe get into the first or second round again. It'll be interesting to see for, for teams like both the Bruins and the Penguins, I think Scott, where teams clear up cap space this summer in another tight cap crunch off season. You know, who are those teams out there that have some space that may feel like they're on the right on the brink of something. I think of Ottawa off the top of my head or maybe Buffalo and are willing to make a deal like that to help, free up cap space for an aging team like the Bruins or Pens and perhaps uh, find a piece that puts them over the top. Thanks for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the summer and uh, we'll keep an eye out for everything that's going on up in Boston. Appreciate it again. Scott McLaughlin, WEEI. Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. Great stuff from Scott McLaughlin uh, up at WEEI in Boston. We keep it in the Odyssey family. Is our friend Sean Marash of CBS Sports Radio joins me now. Uh, Mraz, ultimately your Rangers failed miserably. No, uh, we're not going to do that this time. We're not going to go back and forth like we do on five star weekend on BetQL. We're going to have a serious hockey discussion. I'm ready. We're going to keep it real. Um, so what the hell happened, man? I I really thought Shesterkin was the key and that that would be enough to carry them through a couple of rounds, um, to leave early in the first round into this Devils team that is now getting absolutely handled by Carolina in the second round. Um, what went wrong? Well, I mean, there's a simple answer and there's a complex answer. The simple answer is the Devils made a goaltending switch after game two to Akira Schmid, and he got extremely hot, and the Rangers looked borderline unprepared for you know what they were doing. He gave off rebounds. The Rangers weren't throwing off enough shots. They they loved to pass first. That's what happens when you add a Patrick Kane. He's still Panarin. Uh, and I just think the type of goaltending that Schmidt brought to the table was not the type of offense the Rangers like to play as they maybe overthink things and go for that extra pass way too often. But hot goaltending did him in, but it's tough to swallow that when you see how much the Devils' goaltending situation went in flux here in round two versus Carolina. Yeah, what struck me, you mentioned Patrick Kane in there. It, it, was he even on this team? I mean, he was he was missing yeah. down the stretch especially, but then in the playoffs, what contribution? This was supposed to be the key piece. Yeah, and he had the big goal, I guess it was in game two when he went end-to-end. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. 
But after that, really nothing. At least, at least Vladimir Tarasenko brought them a big punch. But the real problem is every time the Rangers had a power play after those first two games, they struggled mightily. And that top unit continued to feature Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin on it, both of whom are pass-first type players more than shoot-first type players. And the Rangers, when they were cooking last year, eliminating the Penguins, eliminating the Hurricanes. It was Mika Zibanejad from the corner. It was Chris Kreider in the center. And, you know, maybe you only had Fox or Panarin passing the puck. Now you had three passers out there in that first unit Tarasenko went to the second unit that was brutal for them um they're they're limiting the power play time of guys like Filipino and Alexei Lafreniere and and kind of holding the young guys back and I think basically the Rangers in, in what seemed like the perfect addition just be as top heavy as possible might have added too many cooks to the kitchen and it totally disrupted where their strength already lied which was that first power play unit so what happens then? Tarasenko, Kane, just off to free agency, and they use that cap. It's not a ton of cap space that frees up, actually. That's like six mil, I want to say, between the two of them. Um, so, look, they build a strong core, and they can yeah. go forward with that core. And again, they have the goaltending. So I would imagine, is it just little tweaks they need this offseason yeah. personnel-wise? I, I think this is what's crazy, right? Because the Rangers now have fired Gerard Gallant, which I mm-hmm. think is a mistake. But okay, now we'll hold and, and wait and see who the head coach is. The truth is, roster-wise, there will be tweaks. There might be a surprising trade, but a lot of these guys they've locked up long-term. Kreider, Panarin, Trocek, they all have no-move clauses. So they're not going to go anywhere. Uh, I'm very fearful that before they have to pay a Ryan Lindgren, who's an important defenseman for them, big money, that they would move somebody like that. Could they move a Keandre Miller defenseman, something like that? Maybe. But ultimately, you got to remember, before Tarasenko and Kane arrived, this was a team that was good enough to make the Eastern Conference final a year ago, and everybody thought they were a year too early. Now you're pretty much going to bring that same core from two years ago back, uh, but adding Vincent Trocek, which they did a year ago. So I think you just need to calm the waters, take a deep breath, and see if the coach changes anything and gets more out of the young guys like Kako, Lafreniere, and, and Hedl to take the next step. Although, it's worth noting, they have more guys coming down the pipe. Uh, uh, Brandon Othman is a mm-hmm. guy who they think is going to be a big-time winger for them on the top six. Let's see if he's ready to go by next season, and that could be kind of the influx of that next scorer they need. Okay, so if the personnel has been built out correctly, which we're led to believe... Uh, even if the deadline moves didn't quite work the way Drury wanted them to work. And it's just up to the head coaching position. Look, I don't like Gerard Gallant and the way he coaches and the way he tries to work the officiating in a series, right. but yeah, we, bully we, act, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we know that's personal now between the Penguins and the Rangers, but I'll remove myself from that for just a moment and say, I think he was the right guy for this team. I think I he's the fall guy. Um, and so what, what are they looking for then in a head coach? Well, I, I think if you were to knock Gallant on one thing and one thing in particular, it would be being almost too hard on the young guys. I mean, they have this, the kid line is the line that obviously generated a lot of offense for them last year. Uh-huh. Uh, and I keep mentioning the Hedl, Kako, and Lafreniere. A lot of their future and foundation is built on those guys. They just lined up Lafreniere, I mean, uh, Hedl long-term. They feel as if they're not getting quite the returns. I mean, Kako was a number two overall pick, Lafreniere, number one overall pick. By next year, which will be year number four for Kako, year number three for Lafreniere, at some point these guys got to start becoming 30 goal scorers because uh, that's the type of you know hype they had coming in. So I think the thought was Gallant might have been holding them back a little bit, leaning on his veterans too much. Those guys were playing an average of five to six minutes less of ice time per game than some of those True. big lines. They need more power play time, and I maybe they just need a different type of not as – you know, strong-willed head coach on them. But the Rangers really have a lot lying on those guys taking the next step in their careers. All right, then tell me why Larry Brooks, the New York Post, is making up rumors about some (laughs) weird thing where Kyle Dubas, 
uh, comes to Pittsburgh to be the Penguins GM, brings his head coach with him, and Mike Sullivan, for some reason, gets sent packing to the ranch. Why, why is he making things up like this? Why? I'm why not going to are... say he's making them up or not making them up. I will just say this. Mike Sullivan has ties to the Ranger organization. He came from the Rangers. He has, from what I understand, a relationship with guys behind the scenes, including Dolan. Uh, this could be a way for the Rangers to say, look, we got, we've had head coaches to get us to Cups. Vigneault, who I'd bring back. Gallant got his teams to Cubs. You need a guy who could put that finishing touch on, and Mike Sullivan might be that. Do I think he's the favorite? No, I don't. Uh, do I think the Rangers might go into their minor league system for head coach? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'm I, very worried that they're going to botch this, though, Mac. I think this could be what sets the Rangers back here, that they fired Gallant without a true plan. Man, maybe if they had like a really str- somebody in a really strong leadership position, like a real stand-up guy wearing the C on their jersey. Well, they do have that. His name is Jacob Truba. But all kidding, all kidding aside, Mac, this is the first I'm going to tell you. Truba was Gallant's boy. Like, that is why he was named captain of that room. And the Rangers took so long naming a captain. I wonder if he's not the captain anymore if they bring a new head coach in there. That's, I, I think that's, I, like, we we go back and forth with each other and we bust each other's chops all the time about Truba because of him and Crosby last year in the playoffs and just Truba's track record in general. But I think that's for Rangers fans and for Penguins fans who are trying to get an eye on what the Rangers may do this offseason. I think that actually is a very valid point. Is there a shakeup of some sort in the leadership structure? And how does that affect the room with a bunch of young guys that really are at the core? And one more quick one for you there. Assistant Captain Barclay Goudreau's won a couple cups with the Lightning. He's making a lot of money to play on a fourth line now. That's another guy, you know, you don't know, might be stripped of an A or shipped out of here to begin with for salary. So what do we look for? Um, not just uh, draft weekend when deals always get made. The Rangers have only have four picks in the draft, I want to say. Two yeah. of them are late. Um, and, and then July 1st come free agency. Are they involved? Mac, I think they're going to be very quiet in free agency. I really, really do believe that. I think they're going to hope that, as I mentioned, that kid Offman takes the next step. And I think they're thinking that their free agents are going to come from within. The head coach is going to get the most out of Hedl, Cockle, and Lafreniere. You know, maybe a minor, minor piece to add to like a third line because they're going to have to replace Tarasenko uh, and Kane. But overall, I think this will be a very quiet Ranger offseason outside of the head coaching search. Maybe a surprise trade, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't bank on it because it takes two to tango. Okay. Good stuff, as always, Mraz. Thank you, Sean Mraz from the DA Show on CBS Sports Radio. One Giant Step, the New York Football Giants podcast. Uh, what, what else? Oh, BetQL's Five Star Weekend. We, yeah. we do that thing. Pretty yeah. important show, Mac. Thank yeah, sun, Sunday morning. I'll be there. Um, thanks again, Mraz. Later, buddy. All right, see Take you. Care. Great stuff, as always, from Sean Marash on the Rangers. Let's go to the Western Conference now as we take a spin around here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff to all of the cities, all of the markets that were eliminated in the first round. Um, I'll be honest, I had them going farther than, well, the first round. The Minnesota Wild eliminated in the first round by the Dallas Stars. Jesse Pierce covers them for NHL.com. Jesse, thanks for the time today. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm trying to enjoy the offseason again because the Minnesota Wild have made this a theme, it seems, <laughs> well, after the first round. Then we can hug it out over that because the Penguins' five straight years uh, now have lost early, have been bounced from the playoffs. And so the, the common commonality here, too, is that Billy Guerin is the GM there now in Minnesota. There are important pieces in place in Minnesota that were once uh, Penguins products, I think, in particular in goal and Marc-Andre Fleury and Philip Gustafson. So um, I guess the first question, though, is, look, everyone knew that Dallas was this suffocating defensive team who might be able to choke the life out of whoever they played in the first round. 
but it didn't really go down that way. Um, so what worked for the wild in that series against the stars, what didn't work and why are they playing golf right now? They are playing golf because they can't kill a penalty to save their lives. That was absolutely detrimental. I mean, they struggled on special teams in general, but the Minnesota Wild entered the playoffs without Jewel Eriksson-Eck, one of their key face-off guys, one of their key penalty killers and power play, top power play unit guys. So that obviously hurt them. However, I think the series against Dallas was winnable. Now, that's not to discredit Dallas. Obviously, Jake Ottinger and Nett was huge for them. But really, I think Minnesota, when they played their game, played them very well. And when they played five-on-five, Pocky, they played very well, almost better. Again, they were facing a Dallas star squad without Joe Pavelski as well, who was injured in that first great first game, courtesy of Matt Dumba. Um, but really that's what it was. Special teams, I think was, was awful. And then it seems like Minnesota just kind of gave up. I know they mm. obviously did not, but it seemed certainly, you know, their losses in five and six were different than their loss in game four. I think their losses in five and six, they just seem to not mentally be there again. That's my perception, but I think that's what really hurt them in the end. Dallas seemed to want it maybe just a little bit more. What do you, I mean, if you had to theorize what's driving that, I mean, what, what is the leadership structure like there? And is it strong enough to push guys when they're in that what uncomfortable position, I guess, you know, of, of losing. And, and, and then all of a sudden you lose the series lead. And then all of a sudden you're on the road and you're, you're in a tough environment and bang. Now the other team's got control of the series and it all happens in a course of what, uh, four or five days. Who is it in the room that should be the one I would imagine like a, a Marcus Felino maybe, or a Matt Zuccarello, but do they, are they the guys that are kind of driving, steering that room? I mean, they generally are. Jared Spurgeon's obviously wearing the C, but he's less mm -hmm. vocal. Marcus Foligno, the big, loud voice in there as an alternate. And Matt Dumba, another big voice as an alternate. But yeah, Zuccarello, Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, there's a good mix of veteran presence with the youthfulness that Minnesota has that there should have been a little bit more. I also think Dean Evson could have stepped in just a smidge more, I think, again, for the third straight year. Minnesota was outcoached a little bit. Dean didn't tweak maybe some of the lines enough as he should. Uh, but ultimately, when it comes to that mentality that I spoke of Ryan Reeves I think uh summed it up best in our exit interviews with the players once the season wrapped he had said you know maybe we let the officials get into our heads maybe we let those mm. penalties really get to us I know there was a lot of calls and cries for unfair officiating which I think went both ways uh but I certainly look at a five minute major and game misconduct against Marcus Foligno in that game five that turned the tides and I do I think mentally they just kind of defeated themselves a little bit in that essence and it could have been as a result of of not feeling confident on their penalty kill and then taking some some pretty bad penalties as well so how hot is dean evison's seat going into next year you know what we asked bill garen and bill garen shoots us straight but not straight enough sometimes i think he's safe only because Currently, Minnesota is very salary cap strapped. Now, that doesn't necessarily apply to Dean Epson, but he still has two years on the contract. And I imagine owner Craig Leopold does not want to pay more people that are no longer mm -hmm. with the organization. Um, I think the assistants are probably getting a hard look at. Bob Woods has been around for quite some time. Brett McLean uh, and Darby Hendrickson as well. Again, those guys deal with the special teams. Those guys deal with faceoffs, areas that they struggled. Uh, but things have to change. I think Dean moving forward needs to be willing to not be married to his line. We saw that time and time again, the past two seasons in particular, like, yes, when things are working, you want to keep it. But again, Dean did not respond to Pete DeBoer last year. He didn't respond to Craig Berube and the St. Louis Blues when they were in. So I think Dean's definitely going to have to look at this year differently than maybe he has in years past.
So when we look up around the weekend of the draft, um, what are they going to be up to knowing that you're staring down the barrel of Dumba and Klingberg, both uh, going to free agency, I would imagine some middle of the road uh, depth pieces like Nyquist and Sunquist, both unrestricted free agents as well. Um, what, what's their plan? Uh, they, they've got picks to deal with and that they've got three in the top two rounds if they wanted to do something there. Or is it more of a sit around and wait for free agency play for Billy Garrett? Part of me feels like it might be a sit around and wait for free agency. You had mentioned the defensive pieces that will be moving on. Unfortunately, Minnesota will not likely be able to keep Matt Dumba at the salary yeah. hit that he's at. So he will probably walk and test free agency for the first time. Um, but luckily, the prospect pool for Minnesota is deep. And that goes from offense to defense. But in particular with defense, you saw Brock Faber jump right into the playoffs after a devastating University of Minnesota loss in the national championship. I say that because I'm a Gopher fan as well. And that killed me. Oh, I know. Yeah. It was brutal, uh, but I think he played incredibly well, all things considered. He fit in very seamlessly. Um, he, among some other guys that are down in the American Hockey League, Bill Garrett is going to have to rely on those ELCs, on those cheap guys, unless he's going to package some picks and, and some players to go out because, again, he is paying out of pocket for quite a few players. You mentioned uh, Gus Nyquist. He's gone. Would love mm -hmm. to try to bring him back. There's just no money. So I imagine free agencies where he might make a bigger splash, but who knows if something comes across his way during the draft too, might be active. Do you think he tries to juggle goalies again next year as well? I mean, I would think that's the play, but I mean, because I don't know if, if flower can play a full season anymore. Right. I mean, and we saw that this year. I think that was the plan heading into the season was Flower was going to get the lion's share. Philip Gustafson, an untested goalie. Nobody really knew that he had this within him. He wasn't given that opportunity in Ottawa, had never been given this opportunity in his career. And he did great. I mean, he was one of the best netminders down the stretch of the regular season. And he played fantastic in the playoffs. So I do. I think it'll be a rotation of sorts, if not Philip Gustafson getting the bigger load of starts. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury, Pittsburgh fans know this. He's a fantastic human. He doesn't care. Yeah. He just wants to help win. And he was so good for Gus in between the pipes. I'm excited to see. I think Philip Gustafson needs to get in better conditioning shape. I think that's the biggest thing he needs to work on. But ultimately, it'll be a, some sort of rotation with probably like a 70-30, maybe even for Gus to flurry. I mean, if if the Wild would like to be so generous as to donate one of those goaltenders back to no. Pittsburgh, no, no. Mm, it's mm. worth a thought. I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe just if, if there are two things Penguin fans would like to have back in retrospect, and look, they both made sense at the time. It's the Derek Broussard trade mm. uh, where Philip Gustafson was sent to Ottawa, and it's the Murray Flurry decision, which made all the sense in the world at the time. But now in retrospect, you just go, oh, no. Um, so I guess, um, well, we we appreciate you entertaining the thought for all of about one. Two se two I just like him in the locker room. He's my favorite person to talk to. So that's oh, really just selfishly. He's just the best person I've ever spoken with. He's a fantastic human. Tell him everybody in Pittsburgh said hello and misses him and loves him. And uh, thanks again, Jesse. I appreciate Anytime. you uh, dialing us in on the wild just a little bit as we get ready to enjoy the summer. Thanks again. Always appreciate it.